Welcome to Backyard Philosophy, a podcast where a couple friends grab some cold ones, sit around the fire, and talk about science, philosophy, and history. Crack one open, sit back, and get a good laugh as we discuss everything from automation to why the meaning of life is 42. It's getting near Christmas time and everyone's probably thinking about putting up or have put up their Christmas tree. Going out and getting your own Christmas tree used to be pretty common. Now most people buy them from a lot, but getting your own Christmas tree has made a comeback. Today we're going to talk about how to do that responsibly, legally, and try and help the environment out in the meantime. Before we get into that, Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Well, I'm drinking some Tito's Vodka, which is keeping me warm during these holiday seasons, but uh, not too bad. How about yourself? I got some Rogue Mogul Madness. It's a winter ale to be in the the holiday cheer. I didn't feel like I'd waste the time to make an actual winter drink, but here we are. So getting a Christmas tree on public land. There's a, a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. But So the first step is going to be figuring out what public land is near you. Now, if you're outdoorsy at all, you probably know what public lands are around you. And you're not looking for parks. You're looking for national forest or state forest. You're not looking for state parks or national parks because most of the time they won't let you cut your own Christmas tree. But check the website to see if it is or give them a call. If you do find that they will sell you Christmas trees, usually it's like $5 for a permit. And then that's pretty much all to help you with. So now you know, say, where <laughs> where you can get a Christmas tree. You have permission to go and cut a Christmas tree. Now, how do you get there and how do you know you're on the right ground? Now, the problem with that is the government doesn't do a lot of managing their timber. So traditionally, I'd say normally the government only has older stands of trees. And I'll be honest with you. From my limiting of a land survey I've had to do, it's already fucking hard enough when there aren't lines in the sand. And so it's hard enough to figure that out, but a lot of people have trouble figuring out what ground they are on. And I'll give a specific example. I went to a BLM office. I worked for a private timber company to get some stuff signed, an agreement between the timber company and the BLM. And in front of me uh, was a woman getting a Christmas tree permit. And I live in Coos Bay, so the Coos Bay BLM office, and she was asking where she can go cut down a Christmas tree. And they gave this woman a paper map, and she said, okay, where is I-5 from here? To put that in to so people will understand, I-5 is about two hours from where you're at and not on the map. It's an, it's an interstate. So it's not the best frame of reference if you're trying to go north or south because it runs north and south. So essentially, they're just giving this woman a paper and sending her out in the woods. She has no idea where she is or was, she, she, where she's going. She just moved here, and she was probably going to do what most people do in our area. They get a permit from the BLM, and then they go cut down some trees on private timber ground, which is in fact illegal because most of the trees that are cut down are crop trees. And when I say crop trees, I mean a tree that's supposed to be grown for commercial crop purposes. Well, nothing's better than having your own private property 
defaced and cut down. And so this woman is probably not going to be able to figure out where she's going. And there's tools to help you. So most state forests, national forests, will have a program. So it's not their program. The program is called Avenza Maps. And if you go onto their website, a lot of times they'll have maps that you can download that'll tell you where you are, where you're going. Um, and all it is is you download a certain map. It shows you as a blue dot. It can help you navigate. Even if they don't have maps on their website, they have to be in a geo PDF format, but most of the, they're pretty easy to find if you go search for them on the website. And you, even if you just use Avenza, you can pull up, like say you know generally what area you're going, it's Avenza, A-V-E-N-Z-A. You can search for, it's just an app that allows you to download PDF maps with location data in it. So you can download custom maps, you can purchase maps. So really, if you have a program on your computer, you can make your own maps and put them into a geo PDF. Uh, so there's all sorts of kinds, but most BLM districts will have maps available to download and they'll be in a PDF format and you need a Venza or some other map, some other app to reference them. You can only have like two maps downloaded with a free version, but that's usually pretty good for just a, you can cycle them in and out. So just a, if that's all you're going to use it for, I recommend using it for hiking or, or anything else. It's once you get the hang of it, it really helps your navigation in the not Google Maps areas. If you don't have service, it still works. Uh, and so the if the BLM or whoever you get your stuff from doesn't have maps available and this is the hard part that so the the federal government operates in a way that they think all of us understand their lingo so they'll say oh this map is for mineral mineral creek district that means literally nothing to me wait nick are you telling me the government's incompetent it's that they are competent at what they do, okay, that's not even true. Okay, so, <laughs> like I said, I work for a private timber company. So if I tell my buddy, oh, hey, there's a slide at the six mile on the east fork of the Smith, he'll know where that is, right? If the, But with the government operates the same way. They'll put out that information to the public. No one knows what that means. Or they'll say there's a road closure at... The thir- like the 38 mile at the Edson Creek Bridge. No one knows. I don't even know what the Edson Creek Bridge is. Like, so, but they operate in the assumption that everything they know, everyone else knows. So it's really hard to get your data from them. What I suggest doing if you are someone who recreates a lot, you've probably got an ad for Onyx before. There's multiple different kinds, but the cheapest is onyx backcountry it's o-n-y-x and then backcountry there's also onyx hunt and onyx i think off-road or trail and these are apps that will you can find an area where you want you can download either a mile wide super specific data set 10 miles wide or 150 miles wide rough data set and it'll download the roads and ownership and for onyx backcountry it'll just tell you private or federal or private or public so any public land will be highlighted a different stage or a different color 
so you can very easily tell if you're on public or private ground. This is what I use all the time if I'm backpacking or we're just looking for a place to camp on federal ground somewhere. The best way to make sure I'm not trespassing and not going to wind up in jail. So most of the time what I'll do if I'm going to go somewhere, I'll look at my map and look for some, you know, use Google Earth. Or if you do buy Onyx, you can go on, log in on your computer and you can use the satellite view to look for areas that are federal ground or public ground. So the best thing to do is look for areas that have young trees. Okay, if you see just green, that's probably a closed canopy. So you're not going to find a lot of trees there. But say you know, you looked around, you figured out where you're going. Now how do you decide which tree to get? Now obviously, we're going to try and find you know, the nicest looking Christmas tree that's going to fill your living room the best way. Get that. I'm not going to sit here and lecture on how to find the best or how to what Christmas tree looks the best. All I'm going to tell you is how I choose Christmas trees. So while I have to balance, you know, I am married, so I have to find a good looking Christmas tree. I'm also a forester and I want to improve the health of the forest. So I'm looking for a good form tree, right? That my wife's going to like that fits in the our living room and is going to hold all the ornaments. But I'm also looking for a tree that is growing a little bit too close to other trees or is growing somewhere where it's going to get damaged, like right on the road edge or somewhere where there's other trees that are bigger than it and this tree is going to get crowded out or it's going to get have to be trimmed back because it's too close to the road. What I like to do is find trees, and this is super easy on federal ground, find areas where there's a bunch of trees. You know, assume each tree needs about 10 feet rough distance from the next tree. Different species more or less, but 10 foot is a good good benchmark. And I like to find a tree that's, say, 5 feet from two other trees. Well, that tree that's a little smaller, that tree is going to get killed anyway once those other trees top over it and shade out all its light. You might as well kill that tree, take it home, and then let those other two trees use all the nutrients that that tree is going to use up to then die. Two birds, one stone. Exactly. That's the way I see it. And the other thing is, me personally, as a forester who grows primarily Douglas fir, I get tired of looking at fir trees. So I like to, I'll bring home a few other trees, right? So we've had redwoods, we've had cedars. Uh, I think this year we'll do a hemlock, just because if my job is to look at fir trees all day, sometimes the last thing I want to do is come home and look at a fir tree. (laughs) So find a tree that makes sense to cut. Find a tree that is going to die on its own. You know, look at it. Just really look around and just think about how those trees are going to grow. You know, add 10 feet to the trees and make in your mind, imagine them as they grow taller and wider, what's going to happen to the trees beneath. And use that to think about this tree will or won't die. And at the worst case scenario, you cut down a tree that, you know, could have died in any other way trees die that's they're they're not immortal but just the i think just the act of thinking imagining 
the lifespan of this tree and how everything is going to play out will make help you better understand, help people better understand how the forest works. And also, you get to take ownership of that forest. Like you are choosing to take a lesser tree is managing that forest. You're removing the tree that's going to die and just become just downed woody debris, fuel for a wildfire. The more space between trees, the less chance that fire is going to jump from tree to tree. I mean, it's like the easiest thing we can do if we're going out already to cut a tree. We might as well help the rest of the forest out, right? Hey, a lot of people will get Christmas trees, and if doing so helps the environment, I mean, why not? So lastly, I guess we should discuss how to cut down your Christmas tree. Now, I love chainsaws, but I feel like Christmas trees deserve to be cut down by hand with the handsaw or an axe, and then cleaned up with a chainsaw. But that's just me. What do you think, Mike? I like axes. Uh, fuck a handsaw, but I, I would say axes. I just like chopping wood, so that's that's just right. It's like preference. if you're going to go out and get a Christmas tree, you might as well do might as well do it the old-fashioned way. Hey, chop your own wood. Be twice as warm. And then, of course, there's one more important topic I forgot. Bringing home the Christmas tree. Now, this is one that I've seen quite a few fails on. A lot of people get very preoccupied in getting the Christmas tree. It seems like they don't always think about how they're getting it home. Now, as someone who has a pickup truck, it's pretty easy for me to just throw it in the bed of the pickup. But I've seen many a Subaru with a tree that's hanging off the side of the the car because it wasn't properly tied down. For liability reasons, I don't want to tell you how to tie your Christmas tree down, but I just want to say have a have Straps a plan exist for a reason. before you go out there. You know whether you're gonna if you have something to ratchet strap down to, that's great. Whether you're gonna use some bailing twine and just tie it through the open all your car doors and tie it through the roof there, but don't be that guy. Don't be the Christmas vacation guy. Because we are driving past you and we are laughing at you. If you're <laughs> thinking we weren't laughing at you, you're wrong. Oh my god. We were in visiting my brother in Colorado and we saw this guy with this Christmas tree and it was and this here there's some judgment here, but it was the saddest Charlie Brown Christmas tree I've ever seen. Oh no. And it was like not super tied down well in every gust of wind it looked like it was gonna fly off the top it didn't but it was just it was stressful watching it grandma got impaled by a christmas tree so that's all i had just to reiterate make sure you're on public ground make sure you're where you need to be see if you can find a tree that's ready to go uh but most importantly it's one that makes your wife happy so that supersedes ecological benefit, I think. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.